Welcome to Everything EOS, Episode 7. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit icoalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs to discover the latest projects and opportunities like EOS IO. And I'm here today with the founder of ICO Alert and CEO of Cypherglass, Rob Finch. Thank you all so much for joining us on another episode of Everything EOS. Uh, it's been a pretty cool collaboration between Cypherglass, our block producer candidate, and now ICO Alert, um, you know, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Um, before we get started, I do need to uh, put out a sort of a legal disclaimer. Both Zach Gall and I on the podcast do own EOS tokens. And we just want to let you guys know we're simply talking about software that we're passionate about. And this podcast should not be construed as investment, legal, financial, tax, or any other kind of advice. We're, we're simply passionate about this project, and we recommend you do your own research. Um, thank you all so much, though, for leaving feedback and comments about the show. Uh, we've seen thousands of people listening to the show every week now, and it's been really cool to see you know comments coming in about what you want us to talk about or, or thanking us for covering certain things. So if you enjoy this episode, please do let us know by liking, subscribing, or following the podcast wherever you're listening to it, whether that be YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or somewhere else. On today's podcast, we will be detailing the latest news and announcements around EOSIO, including major code updates, major hires by Block One, airdrop announcements, and more mainnet launch speculation. Hey, this really is our major update episode. Tons of updates from pretty much every section uh, of EOS and, and that ecosystem, and I think rightfully so, since uh, we're less than two weeks away from mainnet launch. So without further ado, here we are, episode seven of Everything EOS. All right, we're back after a week off. Sorry about that last week. Uh, we weren't able to record the podcast. Rob was actually busy doing uh, block producer things as we <laughs> prepare for the mainnet launch. So where, what was going on last week, Rob? Or what have you been up to as far as the BP stuff? Yeah, so we did a lot. We've been uh, participating with Cypherglass, the block producer candidate that we announced um, earlier this month. Um, we've participating in a bunch of test nets, specifically the jungle test net. You know, we just uh, looped in some guys from block one. We were having some coding issues there. So block one is now working with us on that test net to, you know, help make sure really? all the issues are fixed yeah, before launch. So what, what kind of support do, do they offer? Because I know like they're not launching the test net, but Definitely. They're, they're, I guess, consulting, I guess, in a way. Yeah, in a way it's, it's almost them helping with, um, so most of the coding issues are related to stability. So, you know, our node would go down, you know, pretty frequently on the test net. The same thing happened with 3.0, so it's really nothing to worry about. When Dawn 3.0 came out for the first week or so after that release, it was pretty unstable, and then Block 1 came in and, you know, fixed those issues, and now the same thing is happening with 4.0. I saw in the uh, Block Producer Telegram, I don't go in there too often, but I was in there yesterday for some reason, and a lot of people were having issues with Dawn 4.0. Is, yeah. is that what you're pretty much talking about? Yeah, exactly. So it was an issue everyone was having? It's an issue everybody's having. So now that uh, Block 1 is looped into those discussions, we're actively opening issues on GitHub and making sure it all gets solved. So we've been working a lot on that and, and making sure the software is ready for launch in June. We're confident it will be. Um, and then in addition to that, we also released a new uh, Cypherglass uh, intro video that kind of introduces a bunch of the members of our team and what we're doing. So take a look at that if you hadn't already. Just follow us at CypherglassBP on Twitter. All right, yeah. And I saw um, on the Danbot Telegram, uh, he mentioned that Dawn 4.1 was going to be out soon. They yeah. typically release things on Friday. So we'll, we'll see if that comes out probably today if you're listening to this podcast we're recording it the day before yeah but uh we'll see if dan makes that post but he did say dawn 4.1 would be out and it's probably going to be sooner rather than later if everyone was dealing with the same bugs definitely and so. it sounds like from their communication it sounds like 4.1 solves pretty much all of those issues um or at least most of them so we're excited to see what they come out with so since we didn't get to talk about it last week, um, some big news, a lot of other big block producer candidates, it seems to be yeah. the theme of every week. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Bancor put put their name in the hat here. 
Um, and obviously, uh, they were mentioned in Dawn 4.0. Bancor is essentially the first DAP that's officially being released because it'll be on mainnet day day one. Yeah. Um, and in the Dawn 4.0 blog post by Dan, he explained the RAM allocation model, which is super interesting for, for those who uh, either haven't read it or don't really understand it. it it's really interesting, though. Uh, you want to take a shot at explaining it, and then I'll yeah. take yes. my shot? So your EOS tokens right now, if you hold EOS tokens, you are basically guaranteed um, bandwidth on the network. So you have, you know, that computational capacity of the network, you can send X amount of transactions. So if you have 1% of the tokens, you have 1% of the, the um, network bandwidth, the computational power. But when it comes to RAM, um, random access memory, which you'll need for certain applications, um, you're going to have to actually purchase that. Developers are going to have to actually purchase that. And it's an interesting model that they've set up, which will potentially... Um, be deflationary and actually offset the cost of block production. Yeah. So as far as the deflationary mechanism, like everyone listening to this probably has experience uh, trading on the current like centralized exchanges like Bitrex or Polo or Coinbase or Bitfinex, wherever you trade. And you know that there, there's always a fee that comes out at every trade. And it's perfectly acceptable because you're, you're making those trades trying to make money. You don't care about a point oh one percent fee or a point one percent fee or whatever whatever it might be on that exchange you don't even notice it usually as long as you're winning um but that that's that's how that exchange is making their their revenue whereas with this there's going to be a one percent fee on every trade whether it's a buy or sell of ram uh there's a one percent fee so that's to limit uh, speculators just holding all of the RAM hostage to, to drive up the price. So if, if you think about where this 1% fee goes, it's not actually going to block one. It's not going to EOS. It's not going to the worker proposal contracts. It's actually being burned. So depending on the velocity of this market, when by velocity, I mean how many times uh, a token of RAM or whatever it'll be called is swapped between two parties, every time it's swapped, it's losing 1%. So if a token is swapped 100 times over the course of the year, that token no longer exists uh, because it's deflationary. Well, actually, it would take 50 swaps because there's always right. a buyer and a seller. So if you think about that, it's actually a 2% fee on every swap because the buyer is being charged 1% and the sellers, I, I never thought of this until just now. Is it? Yeah, because if, if, if I have, like, for example, Rob. I think it's only when the sell happens, though. I don't think you're getting a fee when you buy. I think it's only the sell. It, it's both ways. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, that's I, interesting. I have some notes too. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so like if, if I had the equivalent of 10 tokens worth of RAM, mm-hmm. I would put them on the market and you would buy them. We would both be charged 1% each. It's a maker and a taker fee and it's equal. Usually on an exchange, the maker fee is less than the taker fee because they're the, the maker's adding liquidity to the pool and the taker's taking it away. Hmm. So there, that, that means if a token swapped 50 times over the course of the year, it's completely burned out of existence. Yeah, and if you're, if you're hearing this and you're, you're not sure what we're talking about, we're not talking about the actual EOS token. So if you're not a DAP developer, you're probably never going to deal with this and you won't even know that any of this is happening. Um, but it's an interesting side for DAP developers and, and how they'll kind of fund their DAPs and how RAM may actually offset block production so that it's totally free and actually there is no network inflation. Yeah, so like the utility of the EOS token is it provides you storage, bandwidth, or capacity on the network, and that, that's all in voting rights. Uh, that That's all done, I guess, in the same allocation, Rob? 
Right. So you can stake your tokens for, I believe you can stake your tokens for bandwidth and you know storage at the same time. Storage obviously is not um, a part of EOSIO 1.0 coming out in June. Storage through IPFS will come out later this year, um, and we'll be supporting that at Cypherglass and making sure our infrastructure can handle it. But but this RAM staking is completely different. So for, for the everyday person, you're most likely not going to want to touch this. It's, right. it's actually a very risky marketplace because it's based on the supply of RAM that the block producers actually have. So let, let's say over the first year of EOS, as they add uh, file storage and all these other new features that are going to have higher RAM requirements, the network's being used more. Um, as the network would get closer to its RAM capacity, the price of RAM would actually go up. So a speculator might buy it thinking that they could sell it for a profit. But what could happen is as the block producers increase their RAM capacity, that the the RAM value will actually go down because yeah. the supply will increase. So, for, and I think that's done purposefully because they don't want a ton of speculators in this marketplace. They they want it to be mostly for DApp developers, I believe. Exactly. Yeah, and we're starting out with you know, a significant amount of RAM. I think it's either 512 gigs or or maybe over a terabyte of RAM in just our block producer. So if you think you have 20 others then that will be producing blocks with us that also have that terabyte or so RAM. And um, looking at our phase three infrastructure plan, we're going to scale up RAM pretty dramatically. Uh, so it, I'm not sure I would speculate on, <laughs> on RAM. I don't think it's going to be very profitable. Yeah, um, so I think I said it. Bancor did announce themselves as a BP candidate. Their uh, thing is called uh, Liquid EOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some other ones. You said you just told me one this morning that was announced yesterday. Yeah, so Block V, which was a uh, an ICO that actually launched on Ethereum, uh, along with three other so-called EOS DApps. And Block V sort of self-describes himself now as an EOS DApp, which I think is interesting, which I guess sort of alludes to the fact that Block V will be moving to EOS. Um, but so Block V and then three other DApps have sort of come together to launch a block producer as well. Uh, I forget the name of it, but um, I saw the announcement post, I think, yesterday or the yeah, day before. I, I, I just saw it on Reddit a little bit ago. I, I don't have it in front of me, though. Yeah. Uh, I guess that kind of uh, brings up a good point. So this is another ETH project moving over. We've talked about WAX, and I, I know it's a fork, but, yeah. but they're going to be building features on EOSIO, and the mainnet could actually incorporate the, all those features if, if they find them useful. 100%. So that's the benefit of open source software. Like The more development teams that fork, obviously we want a, a lot of these businesses building on the mainnet, but the more of them that fork just means that there's an entire d- uh, core development team also working on the same platform with features that aren't currently available on the mainnet, and the mainnet could bring in those features at any time. And th- that's, that's one of the benefits to, to people uh, forking and kind of making their own use of EOS because they're testing things that maybe Block One hasn't thought of yet, yeah. things like that. Um, but th- this brings up a good time to play a quote. I-, I shared this quote in the EOS Telegram channel a while ago, and I-, I was shilling it this morning also because I think it's a really good quote uh, from when Dan was interviewed on Ivan on Tech a month or two ago, right before uh, the bank the Bancor's original announcement of their protocol being used. We have uh, several people every single day contacting us. Uh, a lot of projects that are on Ethereum are planning to. Uh, move to EOS because of the technological speed, low fees, and the like. Um, we'll be um, releasing information about one of them uh, next week. So, uh, but there's a lot of people that are moving um, and have expressed interest in moving. And a lot of people are just below the radar waiting for the blockchain to come out um, in June before they officially announce things. But there's Everyone who comes and we've talked to, they see that EOSIO is really the only option in the market right now. 
So basically what Dan is saying here, I mean, he's pretty crystal clear about it, is that there's going to be major announcements coming over the next couple months here. As soon as the mainnet is launched and all of that risk of it not launching is taken away, I think we're going to hear about some major projects. Like Bancor is not a small project and neither is Wax. And I think uh, by the end of summer, they, they might seem like small potatoes compared to a lot of the other announcements that are made in, in total. Like I, I don't want to speculate name names, but there's a lot of projects who if you kind of go through their developer channels or their slacks, you know that there's scalability issues and they, yeah. they, they can't be solved on Ethereum, not anytime soon. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of the businesses that have, and these are major corporations that have sort of assembled blockchain teams over the last, I don't know, three or four years and have been constantly looking into the software who probably hit roadblocks and said, oh, sorry, ETH can't scale. Maybe we'll do a private chain version or, or we'll wait for another solution. I think a lot of those teams are now going to be looking at EOS going, oh, wow, finally these problems are solved. Now we can actually launch the dApp that we envisioned three years ago. Yeah. And that's, that, that's just speaking of existing projects that are just going to migrate to EOS. Yeah. And Dan's mentioned it in the telegram. He said he was able to port over a bank in less than a week. Yeah, from it's ETH. crazy. But he said that that's not typical. Yeah. <laughs> but I would think if Dan could do it in a week, maybe a normal team could do it in a month or two. Right. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. Dan. Dan has superpowers. So and he, he built the system. So. Yeah. And a, another DAP, which is a, a big corporation. So there's this this company that launches this email service called Zimbra X. Um, the way I understand it, it's it's sort of like an enterprise email client, very similar to Mailchimp, where you're sending out, you know hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of emails over the course of a year as, as even a small business. you know, Like here at ICO Alert, this team is sending out tons and tons of emails and could actually use something like this. So Zimbra X is moving from their own sort of centralized service onto EOS and is going to utilize the EOS blockchain to, to make this a blockchain-based email delivery service. So. So, so let's speculate on what that would mean for an email service provider. Yeah. So what advantages do, do you think... I have some in my mind. Maybe I'll kick this off. What advantages do we think... Uh, could be had by by putting an email service like this on blockchain. And I, I work with MailChimp every day here at ICO Alert, so I'm familiar with some of the issues. And I think the biggest one would be the privacy of your email list. So we have an email list of over 40,000 subscribers. And uh, we, we do that. We, we send out our emails. Actually, we use HubSpot now. We actually got away from MailChimp because they banned crypto. Yeah. So... That's don't, don't use MailChimp. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> it's just the most well-known. It's easy to reference. Yeah. So we use HubSpot now, but we, we have a, a giant email list. And this is all private information that people shared with us. They, they agreed to our terms and services, and they agreed to have us email them. But what if HubSpot or what if MailChimp was ever hacked? What if an employee went rogue and just was stealing emails yeah. from, from other companies and sharing them with competitors? So th this is something that could happen, and we've seen countless data breaches. I mean, our social securities are all known by the whole world right now, Yeah, and I never gave them permission to share it. Yeah, so crazy. So I, I think that's the biggest use. I mean, yeah, there's if it's personal emails, it, it could be a tokenized email that you have to have a hash to open it and things like that. But I, I, if it's a commercial email product, similar to MailChimp or HubSpot or whatever other uh, group, like company mailing list type 
uh, email provider. I think that would be the biggest benefit is that nobody at that email company could access my list yeah. without my, ha- my, my, my keys. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think we're going to see that sort of data security integration happen in a lot of other industries, not just email, not just healthcare, not just finance, but pretty much every industry that deals with data in some way, you know, going off the Cambridge Analytica scandal that happened at Facebook, all of that could be solved with some kind of blockchain implementation that then gives people, um, you know, or restricts access, I should say, to that data. So, so um, I, I've seen it on Google and Facebook. All the other big providers let you do it. You could download all of the data that they have on you. Yeah. Have you ever done that? <laughs> it's, it's so it's freaky. Like huge. Like, they can't even, like, give you an instant download link. They're like, yeah. we'll email it to you within 24 hours. Well, in Google, you have to go through, like, 30 different steps to get, like, oh, your location data from here and your search data from there. So they make it very difficult. So the way I imagine uh, things in the future, and this is years off probably before it is mainstream, but all of those data points, you're, you would, if you're using a blockchain-based service like a Facebook 2.0, which I, I, I think Block One's working on, but yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, they've read they've the alluded to it several times, yeah. But um, just imagine if when you download that data dump from Facebook or Google, you, you, you could see that data because you're logged in using your private keys. But nobody else can see that. It, it doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States, the NSA, the TSA. It doesn't matter who you are. You cannot see that block of information. But because it is all tokenized, you can pick and choose which pieces of it you want to share. Right. So if I, if I want to share some personal information about myself, let's say I use Facebook and... Facebook one, we'll, we'll talk to Facebook, we all know. And um, if I wanted to share with a data company all of my likes and habits, because that could help them advertise better, I could say, all right, I'll provide you all of my likes and interactions, and I'll allow you to show advertising on, on this version of Facebook. And in exchange, you're going to pay me this many tokens right. per, per month or per day or whatever that it is. And if I decide I don't like what you're doing with my data, I don't like the ads you're serving me up, I could turn that off at any point. Yeah, and I'm excited for that application specifically with healthcare. So if you think of all this healthcare data siloed in all these different databases all across the world, but if researchers and, and data analysts had access to that data, I think a lot of medical breakthroughs would actually happen a lot sooner. So with access to data on the blockchain, you could say, oh, all my healthcare data is stored in, in this EOS app. I'm going to basically grant access to these 10 research organizations to use it and do data modeling and figure out you know, why I have this condition and these 10,000 other people do too. So I yeah. think we'll see some pretty cool breakthroughs just because of this new data management I've read structure. some, just what you were talking about, I've read some really cool stuff. I don't, I'm not confident enough talking about it in depth, but there's so much cool stuff in the horizon. The yeah. next, and it's, it's not going to be in the short term. Like, the, like as much as we want it to be, these are all long-term things. It could be 10 years before all this is mainstream. I, I wish it was sooner because it's super exciting, but so many different use cases. Um, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not usually one to be a fan of, of, government intervention in any kind of industry, but I think we may see things like the healthcare application actually become mainstream sooner than 10 years if the government comes in and similar to, you know, HIPAA, the the sort of mm-hmm. compliance policy that all these healthcare providers in the US have to follow to store data. If they say update HIPAA to say, hey, it has to be stored on a blockchain in this way, we could see that happen, you know, very, very quickly. Yeah. And I mean, to add, add to that, Interestingly enough, my wife's a biomedical researcher. She's a, she's a biomedical engineer, and her company, it's a startup, they're uh, right now getting ready to do human clinical trials. So she's in that field of research, and I don't know how it would benefit her directly, but she uh, did come from academia. She uh, finished her PhD last October or two Octobers ago. Wow. And 
so it, it's really big in academia um, when you, you got to publish research papers. So to get a PhD, you have to publish, I forget what the number is, it might be different in every school, but like three to five like peer-reviewed peer research papers. Hmm. And there's different factors that, that uh, make, make you stand out with your research. And one of the biggest things is the more times it's cited by other researchers, the, the better the, that, that your paper is is because it's being used by other people, it's adding value. So I actually saw a blockchain use case, I think I've seen several actually, there was one on Neo and I forget where the other one was, but they wanna make a decentralized data warehouse of peer reviewed research where the researcher is actually paid every time it's cited by someone else. Wait, I think I, this is, they're, is airdropping, this on, they're airdropping on EOS, yeah. Okay, Yeah. but, but I saw one, I, I forget what it was called, but there was a Neo ICO about six to eight months ago that I was doing something similar. That's, that's uh, okay. how I was able to wrap my head around it. But so imagine you're a, a for-profit, like non-blockchain related company and you need some sort of research done. So you could actually buy, buy these research tokens and, and fun, uh, put out a proposal to fund specific research. And if a research lab somewhere picked it up and wanted to fulfill those obligations, they, they could and they would get paid in those tokens. And if that research is being used by other companies, they're actually paying for it. And the, the stakeholders, which are the person or company who cr created the research and then the company that paid for it, those are the stakeholders. So think of it like real estate where you own stake in this and you could actually sell out or rent out your research and, and be, be paid in this tokenized system. So I think the EOS one was what I just yeah, explained where they pay for the research itself, whereas the NEO one, and I don't remember what it was called, it was a while ago, but that one was more or less for just the research papers right. that are already being made. It's just to monetize uh, the citations of them because typically a researcher, they, they don't get paid and they don't have any rights to their research because it, it's, it's public. Right. So whenever they publish it, um, the, the companies that sell these papers make a crap load of money. They sell them for hundreds of bucks a piece. Uh, and they're the only ones taking that money. I don't think the university even gets that money. Yeah, the name of the the one on EOS that's airdropping is called Lab Ledger, and they say it's a peer to peer economy built on EOS that will serve as a catalyst for scientific funding and progress. So the platform pays users for publishing, editing, and curating scientific papers. Actually, I, I remember. I think they were on EOS Radio a week or two ago. Oh, okay. I, nice. I listened to it while mowing the grass. Yeah, it says they're airdropping <laughs> on uh, June 21st, so that's coming up. There's a ton. If you guys go to, to airdropsforeos.com, uh, F-O-R spelled out, airdropsforeos.com, you can see all the different airdrops. I didn't realize there were so many. but uh, How many? It looks like... Estimate. <laughs> more than a dozen coming up in the next month, and that's only the ones that are announced so far. Wow. I think... I think with the new sort of funding model for airdrops, where you can just airdrop, say, 90% of your tokens and keep 10% as your funding and then mm -hmm. let the market decide on the price, I, we're going to see an explosion of airdrops. Yeah, and the best part is, like, we work in the ICO space, and let's be honest, like, most of these projects aren't going to succeed. I mean, it, but that's just like any company. I'm not... Yeah, I mean, it's like the, the failure rate for startups in general is something like 90 or 95%. You, you can't expect every company that, that is created to succeed. But with the current ICO model, that means... 90% of initial uh, investors are, are losing out there, yeah. uh, which is always a risk. But with the airdrop model, like, <laughs> there's, there's no risk. A lot of these tokens might be worthless. Like, for example, yes, DAC, uh, it's, it's market price has been going up. It's, it's all speculation because they haven't even been voted in yet. But let's say they, they don't get voted in. They, and 
hypothetically, they don't even get enough votes to be a standby node. Then that token essentially has no value. Oh, yeah. But nobody had any... Well, if you bought it on the marketplace, you got some skin in the game. Yeah. <laughs> but for the people that were airdropped, it's nothing. Yeah. So it, it's just a really, really cool way of like risk aversion while um, getting exposure to all these new startup investments. Yeah. Well, and if you think about uh, EOS DAC capped, I think it was 300 million tokens for themselves and they airdropped 900 million back when there were only 900 million EOS before mm-hmm. the last hundred were distributed. And uh, if you think about that now trading at 20 cents, they've basically raised $60 million to fund their block producer and, and help keep it online. So it, I think we'll see a lot of that. Um, and Honestly, I think it's a better valuation model because instead of selling people on these promises, oh, you know, give us money so that we can build this thing. I think a lot of people are going to build the thing first and then airdrop and let the market kind of reward them for for building that thing afterwards. Well, especially if they they get chosen to be funded by one of the ESVC partners. Yeah, like there's no reason they wouldn't have an MVP working before the airdrop because like that was that was a big issue with regulation in the US is all of these ICO companies launching these tokens without a, a working platform to use the utility token and the utility token quote unquote was kind of the loophole to to pass the howie test it has this utility on the platform but the platform's vaporware right so yeah and the SEC shut that that down pretty quickly yeah saying right. that if in order for it to be utility it has to not qualify all the other checkboxes for a security but it also has to have utility when you buy it and that's always a red flag for me I I mean, this is ICO alerts. We could talk about some ICO stuff here too. Um, with, with ICOs, if they don't have a, a, some sort of working MVP or beta or alpha product prior to the ICO, that means they probably didn't get much uh, private investment, which uh, that's probably for good reason. There, there's at least 100 uh, like hedge fund like companies that invest in these early, early stage ICOs before you even hear about them, before they even maybe even have a website. And the fact that these companies couldn't even build an alpha or a beta is a huge red flag. To oh, me. absolutely! I, I come anywhere near it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. You need to have some kind of product before you try to raise money or do an airdrop or whatever the your funding mechanism is. So, what else is going on in EOS? Uh, let's go through the notes here. Yeah, there's a lot of little things. So, the as a reminder, the uh, global hackathon, the first round of it is June 9th and 10th in Hong Kong. So, we're going to see the first official EOS that's coming right up. Yeah, that's like a couple weeks away. I, I keep mean, thinking about the mainnet. I'm like, oh yeah, the the. I mean, mainnet is, hackathons right after. The mainnet is less than two weeks away. The hackathon then three weeks away. There, there's so much coming up in June. Then the Veripedia airdrop, the Erio airdrop, the Scatter. Air, there's just all these things happening. It's it's going to be a crazy mm-hmm. next couple couple weeks and months. I'm really looking forward to it. And as far as the hackathons, I think you mentioned in a previous episode, but uh, the judges, man, just just yeah. to meet the judges, if they're actually in Hong Kong, which I, I'll oh, I'm sure they will the be. list. Brendan Bloomer, the CEO of Block One, Dan Larimer, the CTO, Michael Chow, Winnie Liu. Uh, there, there's a few others too. Uh, Serg Medellin, I probably messed his name up. He's been at a lot of the uh, sh- live streams from Block One. Yeah, and we've been, Serg has helped us with a lot of the, the coding issues, so we appreciate his help there for sure. Shout out to Serg if you're, if you're listening. I'm sure you're not because you're so busy. But I don't know. It seems like whenever I, I get messaged in the feedback, I think some of our core listeners are actually the other BPs. Nice. <laughs> and I, I don't know about people on Block One. I'm sure they're really busy, but it, it's like the hardcore US community. Yeah. I'm sure we've got some casual people, but the hardcores are listening. That's awesome. Shout out. Yeah, it's been great to see, uh, honestly, the whole EOS community in general grow, especially the, the BP community. There's so many people. I think in the last week, there were another 30 new BP candidates that were announced. So there's a ton of people vying for these spots. And I think that's going to just result in a, a really strong, really stable network that uh, eventually has the best BPs voted in. 
so I think we talked about this last week, but we've had some time or two weeks ago, but we had some time to think about it. What, what are, and you don't have to uh, share who everyone you're going to vote for, but what are, what are some of the uh, BPs that stand out to you and why? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I would say Cypherglass personally, because <laughs> seeing all of the stuff you, you that we're doing votes, and, Rob. <laughs> yeah, and all the, all the investment we're putting into the infrastructure and the, the team we've built, uh, I'm definitely going to vote for Cypherglass. But in addition to that, I think my top pick outside of that would be EOS Canada. Um, EOS Canada, if you, you look at a lot of their videos, they've put out incredibly helpful YouTube videos that are educating the community. They've sort of, um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they've written some of the actual bio startup script for the mainnet launch. Really? So they're really one of the main people making sure that the mainnet launch is going to happen, that people can get their tokens. Um, so I think the EOS Canada team has done a great job. Also EOS New York, of course. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. That's the one I'm most familiar with because my interactions with uh, any of the BPs is usually through the Telegram channels. And EOS New York is one of the most active ones. I'm sure they're very active at Consensus this past yeah. week. They were um, the first block producer to announce. Uh, I guess this was, was that even last year? It was, a, I don't know when, but it was a long time ago. They were definitely yeah. one of the first that I've ever heard of. Yeah, I think it might have been December last year. I, I could be wrong, but they were, they were the first, and they've been really great at engaging the community, building up a big social following. So definitely got to vote for them. Um, I would vote for EOS Vibes as well. I think they're yeah, great. Dude, oh my God, EOS Vibes. I've, I've been watching uh, his name, Kyle, the, the yeah. YouTube guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know his affiliation with him. If they brought him on because he really understands the future and the vision of this, and they brought him on as kind of a, a helping hand or like a spokesperson, or if he's been uh, planning EOS Vibes for, for a while. Yeah. I'm, I'm not real, real sure, but man, I, I've watched every one of his videos. Oh, yeah. I, he does I, a I'm really good sure job of his username just... on YouTube. You could find them. And if you're just yeah. searching for YouTube videos, it's, look at the top rated ones, and they're probably his. It's the Awakenment. Yeah, the awakening. That's yeah. it. But he yeah. he does a really good job of breaking down really complex concepts yeah. like RAM trading, for example. He has a video on that that breaks it down to like its simplest form so that anybody can understand. I actually uh, used for, for I had some notes for, for talking about RAM. I didn't even get through them all, but I actually took the notes based on his video. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I was listening to it, then I read through the transcript because yeah. like, YouTube like it does like a text to speech type thing if you look for it. But yeah, his, his videos are awesome. I remember he did one on. Um, how he how, on his explanation of EOS as real estate, and yeah, it, that was one of the, my my. It wasn't one of my first ones I watched, but it was one of my first ones that I started sharing with people because people were always asking me, like, why do you like EOS so much? And I, that would be one of the videos I would send them. I'd say, yeah. just watch this. And well, this might make sense to you. That was one of his first, and I think it's still one of his most popular videos because it just it breaks it down. So it, it's so easy to understand. If I recommend everybody get you check bullish, that out. Nothing will. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, there are so many good BPs now, though. I mean, the, there's, I would say that there are at least a dozen that I would be comfortable voting for. That I mean, have you just really mentioned the big ones, but I'm, I'm yeah. definitely one of my 30 will be Bitfinex or EOS Phoenix or frog, whatever you want to call them. Right. Uh, definitely, definitely them. I'm, I'm not sure about the other, uh, big mining pools because I'm not as familiar with them. Um, anyone else? I'm, I'm sure we're missing a bunch and I apologize for that. Um, yeah, I do have to give a, a special shout out before we move on to, to EOS Canada for helping us with some of the projections for block producer revenue to help our budgeting. Um, they were super helpful in putting together a big spreadsheet that, that let us calculate it based on the token price and all this good stuff, which was inspired by Thomas Cox from Block One's original spreadsheet. So thanks to those guys for helping us out. They've been been super, super helpful in the so, community. Since you're kind of like an insider on this, like what kind of collaborations going on between all the block producers right now? Like I know yeah. uh, EOS Go has them broken up into like multiple telegram groups and, and like different subgroups of all of uh, the announced BPs and they're kind of collaborating on different stuff. But 
Do you want to like add to that? Because I'm not really yeah. sure what's going on there. Most of the collaboration right now is surrounding the test nets. So there are a bunch of different test nets that are live, Aurora, Jungle, um, a couple others. We're, we're the biggest participator in Jungle right now. Um, not, not relative to the other BPs, but relative to the other test nets we're participating in. We're putting the most time into Jungle. Um, and thanks to the guys from... I'm blanking on which BP set it up, but thanks to the guys over there for, for setting up that test net. But the collaboration between the BPs is really right now on making sure that when this thing goes live, we can all be stable block producers, that our nodes aren't going down, that we aren't missing blocks. So to give you a, sort of an example of what's happening, somebody may go in and um, write a script to say, restart your block producer automatically, to give like a very basic example, when it goes down. And then that block producer that found that solution, that coding solution, will actually share that code with the other block producers. That's so cool. it, it very much is a collaborative environment right now, where instead of you know a block producer building a bunch of tools and then sort of keeping them to themselves for them to have some kind of advantage, mm-hmm. um, all of the block producers are kind of sharing that code with each other to make sure that the network, first and foremost, is stable. I mean, and, and that's kind of like... Votes only last for three days, right? Right. So, Well, actually, no, there's a new voting structure now. So you vote, you basically stake your tokens and say, hey, I want to vote with these tokens. And you can vote for up to 30 people. You don't have to vote for all 30. You could just vote for one if you wanted to. But you can vote each token 30 times. Um, Then what happens is every week, your voting power for those votes, if you don't renew them, slowly uh, decays over time and has a half-life of one year. So if you vote today, a year from now, the votes that, that you have, if you haven't renewed them, will be worth half the voting power they are today. Interesting. So you can, however, if you want, go in and renew your votes every week, and then your votes will always have full voting power. Um, and then the three-day rule applies when you want to stop voting. You basically click unstake, and then you wait three days to get your tokens. So I, I guess talking about all this voting, let, let's speculate about the mainnet launch because yeah. for for the network to launch and for the tokens to be transferable. So whenever the mainnet launches, uh, a group of block producers, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, a gl- group of block producers who were not yet voted in will launch the mainnet. Correct. And when that happens, nobody's tokens are transferable. They're locked in until a 15% consensus could be reached. Right. So until 15% of people make some kind of transaction, generally a voting transaction. So even though you can't send your tokens to somebody else, you will be able to vote them. So basically what happens is, that, you know, I think it's a group of 50 or so block producers get together and we say, okay, hey, we're going to launch the main net. And then what happens is that the network itself, the software actually automatically or randomly picks 21 of those 50 to be the initial block producers. And it also picks one random person to do the boot up process who then gets sort of kicked out immediately. Um, but then as soon as those 21 launch the network, all of the people with tokens can sort of log in and start voting. And those top 21 who helped launch the network won't necessarily be the 21 that continue to vote, to, to produce blocks on the network, since they can quickly be voted out um, by just a single vote, since they'll have effectively zero votes to start. And we, we talk about all this voting. So um, how will a token holder vote? So you're going to vote through whatever your wallet software is. So right now, it seems that the main wallet that's going to be available at launch is the Scatter Wallet. Um, you know, always do your own research with wallets. Make sure you're using something secure. But it looks like you'll be able to vote for, through through Scatter from day one. And you should hopefully also be able to vote through Bitfinex if you hold your tokens there from day one. Um, it's unclear if that voting mechanism that Bitfinex is building will be day one or be later. But I, it, it I seems th- like I it will be. When they announced as a BP. This is interesting that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. They said it's they're going to release certain open source software in May, and it's like around this time frame. Actually, I don't have the notes in front of me. That's a good point. They said mid May, right? 
Yeah. So that, so, and that was specifically for, I think, sharing liquidity on a decentralized EOS exchange. They had other stuff. I'm was not it sure. Lightbeam or something? It, yeah. I think it might have let you like have your tokens on the exchange and still, still vote, like, right. like you were just saying. So one of one of the doomsday scenarios of the mainnet launch would be if they can't reach a fifteen percent consensus. Right. And I, I see the only way that could possibly happen is if um, I, I don't think it could happen because fifteen percent of the tokens. I think just between the BPs themselves and even uh, Block One, none of their tokens are unlocked yet, so probably not them. But just between the BPs, there should be fifteen percent of the network, especially oh, with some of the big dogs who have announced. Absolutely. Um, but the, the doomsday scenario that I was going to say is if the general public can't vote because they just don't know how. Right. Like this is one of the, this is probably one of their first holdings where they're actually, the platform's requiring some sort of user interaction yeah, from 100%. the token holders. Most people have this token for this, this future project that doesn't even, it's not even close to existing yet, doesn't really have a utility yet. So they just keep them in their, their ledger or on an exchange and it's, it's just a trading utility. That's all it is to them. Yeah. Whereas now they're being asked to participate in the network uh, and, and to use one of the token utilities. I can name a lot of people that I know who, who, who are actually pretty knowledgeable in this space, and they've probably act, never actually even used the utility of yeah. any of their tokens they've ever owned. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, they point. could talk about a project till they're blue in the face. Yeah. They're very knowledgeable people, but uh, there's very few tokens that are actually using their utility. Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin, store of value. I'll pass it to you. Pass Definitely. It to me. But as far as, like... ETH tokens or like even other ones. Yeah, that's I, a really I good point. I, I'm trying to think of myself. I, yeah. I mean, voter education is something we're, we're really focused on at Cypherglass. So as soon as those wallets are actually released and there's some process to vote, we're going to be making video tutorials, blog posts to sort of walk people through the process. Um, but it will be very interesting to see sort of how launch unfolds, how long it takes to reach that 15% consensus and, and sort of what happens there. I, but, I was under the impression there was going to be like a front end portal like a, a, a UI designed that, that would just handle like to, token out, like first would be voting. That'd be the first use case. But have you seen anything like that yet? There will be. I mean, if you look at other DPoS networks like Lisk and Rise, that that voting UI is always built into the wallet since you're voting with those tokens. And I think it'll be very similar for EOS where Scatter, for example, will have their own voting UI. Bitfinex will have their own voting mm -hmm. UI. Whatever wallet that you're storing these things in will have a voting UI to sort of cast your vote accordingly. Interesting. So... That'd be interesting to see that pop up on Bitfinex one day before the mainnet launches. Yeah. Hey, just so you guys know, if you're holding EOS, click here because this is how you're going to vote on, on June 2nd or, Absolutely. or 3rd or whatever, whatever day. Yeah, uh, I'm sort of holding off on voting for Bitfinex yet until they deliver on their promise to actually let people vote for whoever they want. So they've been very good. Paolo at, at Bitfinex has been great in the, the BP telegram sort of talking about, hey, we're not going to just leave a checkbox that says, you know, click here if you want to vote for Bitfinex and keep the EOS network secure. We're going to allow you to vote for anybody. So I'm, I'm waiting to, to vote for them until they sort of follow through with that promise and, and show that they're a good actor. So, so you don't think that they're going to say, put an announcement out, Every attention, all EOS token holders on Bitfinex. You're allowed to make 29 votes. <laughs> <laughs> they better not. That would be horrible. Yeah, that'd be that'd be an that's, easy way to not get voted. Oh in. yeah, that's what everybody has basically told them. You you better not vote on behalf of token holders, especially since you're then locking all their tokens up for three days. Yeah. You can't do that without their consent. I don't so. think that'll happen. But they, they, so they, will, they will get my vote, man. I think they take a take a lot of heat that they. I don't think they deserve it all. 
Um, oh, big big hires this week or last week. Yeah. Um, Lee Schneider was, was the one I think was announced last week. He was hired for by Block One, uh, the company building USIO, for those unfamiliar. Uh, he was hired as general counsel to help navigate uh, the muddy waters of crypto regulation. Yeah. So he's basically the main legal guy at Block One or will be in June when, when he starts. But this whole thing is really interesting. That, and I think it ties into a lot of the announcements that we're going to see. So, for example, we saw NASDAQ with their new crypto exchange that launches in June. I believe it's June 16th, sometime in mid-June. They said, quote, that they're listing the top six tokens by market cap. Oh, yeah. EOS is one of those tokens. So I think having somebody like Lee Schneider as general counsel there who can kind of be a liaison to these exchanges and say, hey, you know, we followed these legal processes, we're not a security, blah, 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 was going to help get EOS onto NASDAQ and onto Coinbase and Gemini and all these other places. And this is just speculation, but what I've been saying is if NASDAQ, who's, you know, susceptible to all these different kinds of regulations, is comfortable listing EOS, as they've said they are, then guess what? Guess who else is going to be comfortable? Coinbase is going to be comfortable. Gemini is going to be comfortable. All these other exchanges in the U.S. are, are going to be comfortable doing it. And I think we're going to see an explosion of places where you can actually get EOS in the future. Well, to, to add to what you just said, all the NASDAQ stuff, Yeah, Galaxy Digital, their, their index fund. Oh, Mike, yeah. Mike Novogratz announced he's uh, launching a top 10 index fund yeah. that'll be publicly traded, and it's the top 10 crypto by market cap. Yeah. Well, everyone knows what number number five is, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that, so it's a partnership with Bloomberg. So now that's getting out to yeah. Bloomberg. It's the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index, I believe, BGCI. And, um, and, just, sorry, just in case yeah. you haven't been listening to this, Galaxy Digital is one of the companies, one of the venture capital companies that Block One actually provided funding to specifically to fund DAP development to grow the EOS ecosystem. Yeah. So and, they're they're delivering. And Mike Novogratz is is sort of the famous traditional finance guy who was well known for buying about a million ether around a dollar and then turning that into half a billion or a billion dollars. So he's he's done a lot in crypto and really knows. He, I think he's good at sort of predicting which platform will gain a lot of uh, you know gain a big network effect. He saw it with Ether. He called that right. Now he's calling it with EOS, and he's putting up three hundred twenty five million dollars in that VC partnership to to fund DApps on EOS. So one I think the, he's pretty confident <laughs> one, in the software. One of the interesting things I was just when I was reading about the Galaxy Digital uh, Index stuff the other day, uh, he he kind of called out investors and said they'd be um, really stupid. I don't know what his exact words were to not have like at least one, two, three percent of their 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 total wealth in crypto. He said you would be negligent. I think is negligent the word he used. The word. Yeah. And he in, in that same article or wherever I read, he said he I think he has ten percent of his wealth in crypto. But whenever you just said how, what he bought Ether for, oh yeah, and I'm sure he has other investments that like we didn't mention, or we don't know about. Man, I, he must have a lot of wealth if ten percent. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think that going back to Lee Schneider as general counsel block one, there are a couple of interesting notes you put down here that I didn't realize. If you want to talk about the, he, he contributed to the the guidance for Coinbase. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the notes in front of me. Yeah, it says it says that uh, Lee Schneider contributed to the global leading guidance, quote, a securities law framework for blockchain tokens, which was developed by Coinbase. So it's interesting. That they're hiring people that have all these other ties to different industries, people in the crypto industry. Um, and and an interesting note that I think was actually in their press release, uh, Schneider co co-hosts a podcast called Appetite for Disruption, um, with his, which is a, a bi-weekly fintech podcast with former SEC commissioner Troy Paredes. So I've been meaning to listen to that. Yeah. I usually listen to my podcast while I mow the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> and it's raining today, or it's going to rain, so I won't be listening to it today, but <laughs> not, now that I, it's in the uh, front center of my mind, I think I do want to listen to that because I'm really curious what they have to say. Definitely. Um, 
And here at ICO, we have a podcast that will be released here um, in the next week or so where um, Ryan Dennis, one of our uh, customer relationship guys here, he actually interviewed a, a, a gentleman who has a lot to say on the SEC and uh, crypto lobbyists and a lot of stuff going on there. So look out for that in the next week or so. Yeah, and another, uh, so shortly after, on May 8th, they, they hired Lee Schneider as general counsel. And then on May 14th, very recently, uh, they came out and hired the CFO of Commonwealth Bank Australia, yeah. uh, Rob Jessidison, I think is his <laughs> last name. Um, but so he's going to be the, the group president and chief operating officer or COO of Block One. So just imagine the connections that somebody that was the CFO of, a, of one of the biggest banks in the world. Yeah. Imagine the connections that he's going to bring to Block One and then to EOS DApps and EOS Partnerships. And they're really assembling sort of this this power team to, to go out and just conquer in the next six months. I challenge anyone listening, find me a team with more experience. Yeah. And we, we could even say blockchain experience when, when talking about Dan Larimer, but just experience. <laughs> 100%. No one is set up to succeed like, like Block One, in my opinion. There, there's a lot of other great projects out there. Don't get me wrong. But this one has big written all over it. I, I, I don't want to say money, but I guess it has money written all over it because this, this is going to be big. I yeah. mean, we've well, been saying this for the last year now, like about the vision of this. The, yeah. the vision is so grandeur that you can't even wrap your head around how big it could be. Oh, absolutely. Like, like think about Linux and how big that is. Like a lot of uh, electronics you use are actually running a Linux operating system on, on, underneath. And that's an open source software. And just imagine if... Everything moves to blockchain like, like we've been predicting it will for years because of, of a lot of different reasons. EOS could be the platform. Oh, yeah. Well, and I like the way that Brendan Bloomer, the CEO of Block One, describes it. I think it's in the most recent video that they put out called uh, titled, What is Block One? If you search that on YouTube, it'll come up. Um, and he, he talks about basically rebuilding the, the sort of foundation of the internet, where the internet is a very insecure method of data transfer. And EOS, or a similar solution, is a very secure method of data transfer by default and could, could literally rebuild sort of the backbone of the internet to, to make data transfer and communication and uh, commerce all more secure. Yeah, I mean, like hearing stuff like that, I, I read about it all the time, I hear about it, I talk about it. Like as bullish as I am on everything crypto-related, everything block one related, yeah. I still have trouble wrapping my mind around the possibility that like the internet is going to change dramatically and it's just like going to be so much different. Like, Absolutely. It doesn't matter how much of a futurist or a technologist or whatever other buzzword you want to call yourself. Well, and the, the beauty of it is that I don't think it'll change that much for somebody using users, it. Users, no. They'll still go, you'll still go to facebook.com in your browser or some new social yeah, network. I mean, you ask your, your general person, what's what's IP? Yeah. <laughs> what's DNS? What's TCP IP? They have no idea. Yeah. yeah. So it's like that. Like, you don't need to know. I mean, yeah. you, you, what's HTTP stand for to most people? Yeah. They probably don't know. Hypertext transfer protocol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. But like, yeah, so... That that's the I think the end game of of blockchain, and I think Dan's been saying it before. The whole goal of blockchain and blockchain applications is that the end user doesn't even know they're on a blockchain. Yep. And that that just reminds me the utility uh, token. How we were talking about a lot of people have never used a utility token for its utility. I take that back. We've a lot of us here have used Steemit. Dan Larimer's that's second project on block blockchain project he created. Yeah. Uh, Steam, it's like a, a decentralized Reddit for those who don't know. And it has a tokenized system that pays you for uh, 
like creating posts, like a blog post or something. And then the more upvotes you get and the more comments you get, the more people like your post, the more you get paid in their, the Steam tokens yeah. and Steam dollars. Yeah, and that's a good example where you you also don't even have to own the tokens that use the platform, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think that'll be one of the biggest introductions of sort of the mainstream into crypto, where they may use a new decentralized Steam at the block one's building and go, oh, wow, I just got 10 tokens for writing this post that got a bunch of upvotes. What can I do with those tokens? And then they do a little bit of research. They realize they made some money. They continue to contribute. Then they're using those tokens to buy other tokens. And that, I think, will get a lot of people um, into into this ecosystem in general. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, we, can, we can go on for days. How, how many minutes are we at, Rob? Uh, I think we're about 45-minute <laughs> mark. We should probably wrap soon. There's yeah, a, so a lot there's going one, on this week. So, two, two things I want to mention before we wrap up here was uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the stack exchange, how they needed, uh, like very vetted, like veterans on this exchange. And this exchange is, um, mostly used by developers of all different languages. It's like a big Q and a, like if you have a, a problem with code or a, a technological problem, you ask it on here and all of the best developers are on there and they help each other out. It's a great community. And to, to get a, a a forum completely dedicated to EOS IO, it required like veteran status members. People have been on there for many years and contributed a lot of posts. Yeah. They needed votes from those people saying that we think this is a credible uh, piece of software that we want to have a dedicated forum to. And they, they reached that goal last week. Yeah. So, so thank you. If you were one of the people listening that went out and, and voted for that, we, we really appreciate it. It's it's cool to see there's a bunch of questions already pouring in. I've answered a couple on, on behalf of Cypherglass, like just general sort of governance questions and network questions. I can't dive into the technical stuff too much there. I'll leave that to somebody else. But it's been cool to see the community already start to build around Stack Exchange. And then uh, the last piece of uh, news or update I, I would like to talk about is the big Vitalik helping Dan Larimer with his commentary on EOS. Yeah. So. I actually, I, I, I was so impressed with it and so pumped about it. The other night, I, I spent like an hour making my own meme. <laughs> because honestly, Vitalik and Dan are like the mega powers. I'm a big professional wrestling fan. The mega powers were a tag team in the 80s with Hulk Hogan and yeah. Macho Man Randy Savage. So I, I photoshopped, <laughs> I photoshopped uh, Dan Larimer. There's a picture of him with a beard I, I found on Google and I put it on Macho Man's head with his headband. That's great. Vitalik was Hulk Hogan. I love it. And <laughs> if you guys don't know what we're uh, referencing, so Vitalik actually helped Dan with uh, some coding issue they were having with the Byzantine fault tolerance. It's basically what keeps the network online if, if a couple nodes go down or, or try to go against the flow. Um, and, and he helped with with some kind of issue there. So Dan sort of publicly thanked him on Twitter, and it's it very cool to see them come together. And it also is now fueling or putting fire or more fuel on the fire of the rumors of uh, Vitalik moving to EOS. They were, uh, I think, started well, as like... I'll add some more fuel. Hold on, I got to clarify. They started as a joke, I think. Yeah. But now it's like more and more credibility. Vitalik talking about, oh, Ethereum is, you know, too far along. They've made some mistakes, blah, blah, blah. Now helping with EOS development. It's it's pretty cool to yeah, see. Yeah, I mean, the, I don't think they've even had a conversation about it personally. It's all I speculation, agree. but they both hear and read the speculation. I mean, I, I just don't think there's been formal talks. I think Vitalik's completely dedicated to Ethereum from, from what I could tell. But I just want to read some tidbits that, that Dan dropped in different chats throughout the past week. And the first one was, I have a job for V at B1 if he wants it. <laughs> <laughs> I may have been a bit hard on V back in the day. 
And then he said, V needs to walk away from ETH for it to ever succeed. And I think it's coming from Dan because of like bit shares and steam. Like the whole point of a decentralized system is that there's no head on the snake. Yep. Like if the system can continue to succeed without without that that front man, that's great. Oh, absolutely. And there's a ton of key man risk that Vitalik has at Ethereum where everybody looks to him for decisions on scalability and what should we do next and should we fork or not. And it, he's really the the... the main central point of key man risk. And if he wasn't a part of that project, I think the project would so probably keep do better. Keep reading through quotes before you wrap up. This is like yeah, gold. This is good. If ETH is to be decentralized, like he says, then he needs to cut ties. <laughs> and then he even mentioned here something about the, the bit shares for better solutions. And that's the whole thing that led Dan to this point. He, he first created bit shares when nobody even knew what a blockchain was. And he, he, there were limitations there and like f lost funding for developers. So he left that to build Steemit. And he built Steemit in less than two months. And it's the most widely used by transaction volume blockchain in the entire world right now. Yep. And he walked away from Steemit because of limitations there. So he, he made two specific use case blockchains that, that BitShares was a decentralized exchange and could run DAX. And then Steemit, like we talked about, is like a decentralized Reddit where you're paid to produce content. But those are very specific use cases. With, with EOS, he built a, a, a non-specific use platform that any other blockchain can be built on so that it's a general use blockchain. So that's, that's why Dan says, because there's a lot of speculation, oh, Dan's walked away from two projects right. and he walked away from this one. And so be it. Like we're talking about how Vitalik could walk away from ETH. Dan, Dan could walk after EOS launches and it, it's had as long of a time as Ethereum has had to mature. If Dan walked away, there, there would be no drop off because he's building a huge, great team of developers. The, the whole block one team's good. But Dan has stated many times publicly that he won't be leaving block one because he, he's got a lot of unfinished business. He's going to build dApps on EOS. Yeah. In Dan's mind, EOS is the last blockchain that needs to be built, and everything else could be just be built on top of it. Yeah. And since we're, we're sort of running a lot of quotes today, I think it would be cool to end on a sound clip. So Dan was asked a question. Uh, the question was, how do we get to mass adoption, and what are the obstacles? So we'll leave you with this sound clip, and uh, we'll see you either next week or the week after. Well, you have to create a system that's so viral in its own right that people will adopt it without... Uh, without being forced to adopt it. You create a new system and you move to the new system. So you create a social media platform that everyone wants to be a part of and it can govern itself so well that uh, people want to use the social media governance for more things and it just creeps into use naturally versus saying, hey, let's tear down the old and replace it with the new. You, you have to organically create something that can live within the current environment and make the older uh, techniques uh, redundant and eventually unnecessary. ICO Alert maintains the only trusted comprehensive list of pre-ICOs and initial coin offerings. This Pittsburgh-based startup has grown to serve over 1 million users in less than a year. But how did it get started? Well, at first, the company was just an online tool for two brothers, Mike and Rob Finch, to keep a calendar of their favorite ICOs. After just a few months, the team has grown to over 14 team members and produced hundreds of ICO reports. These in-depth reports feature exclusive interviews and offer insight into past, active, and future ICOs. Head on over to ICOalert.com, meet the team, and use their game-changing My Portfolio function. Track your favorite blockchain projects. Become your own venture capitalist. Only at ICOalert.com.